Well, when I think about Joshua and the battle of Jericho, it is good to know that the Lord is on our side. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to please open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. Before us is the story of Miriam and Aaron as they speak against their younger brother, Moses. God himself takes up the business and Miriam is smitten with leprosy. Moses intercedes for her and Miriam is restored to her former health, yet she is punished by being shut out seven days from the camp. And in Moses, we see a man who has developed a merciful meekness. We'll see that merciful meekness in this sibling rivalry, a swift judgment and an impassioned pleas. We'll also see this merciful meekness in Jesus Christ. This is God's Word, Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hezroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come in hope that You will reveal Yourself to us. We pray that You would open the eyes of our hearts in Your Word. Allow us to see ourselves more clearly by the power of the Spirit. We ask that You would do so for the glory of Jesus Christ and the good of your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 
You know, this story hits home when we realize that we're gazing upon the relationship between little brother Moses and his big sister Miriam and his big brother Aaron, that this story underscores our absolute need for merciful meekness. Now, it begins simple enough with sibling rivalry. Moses' Moses's older siblings have a bone to pick with their little brother. In verse 1, we discover that they do not like his wife. And we immediately have a problem. We really don't know exactly who this woman is. We know about Moses' wife Zipporah from Exodus, yet she is from Midian. Cush, on the other hand, may refer to modern-day Ethiopia. So while it's difficult to tell who this wife is, Miriam and Aaron reveal their displeasure. She is not one of them. She is different, perhaps because her skin is dark. Perhaps she is also gaining too much attention. The issue of Moses' wife is not revisited because what is mentioned next has nothing to do with his wife and everything to do with pride, jealousy, and perhaps even prejudice. The older sibling's initial complaint is just a surface issue, a smokescreen for what is really boiling deep within. They seem to have dark jealousy, a perceived loss of power. Their complaint over Moses' unique position may have arisen in the last chapter in Numbers chapter 11 when Moses cried out to God for help to shepherd God's people. You remember that God gathered 70 of the leaders in Israel and poured out His Spirit on them and they prophesied. And yet from this account, it looks like that Miriam and Aaron were not included. But why not, they must have wondered. They're part of the first family of Israel. Is is Moses the only show in town? No, God has used us too. The siblings protest. Now remember Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Centuries later, through the prophet Micah, God would declare that I brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of servants, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Imagine your sons and your daughter having such an incredible opportunity and role to play in the history of redemption. Now Miriam, as Moses' older sister, watched over him as the papyrus basket floated down the Nile. You remember that when he was an infant. It was ultimately retrieved by Pharaoh's daughter. And as a young child, she made sure that Moses was returned to his mother to be nursed and to be cared for. But Moses would grow up in Pharaoh's house. And years later, it was Miriam who led the women of Israel in song and in dance on the eastern shore of the Red Sea after the Egyptian army was drowned. God's presence in her life is clear and her ability as a prophetess is unquestioned. So just see the picture of who Miriam is. But also Aaron had an important part to play in Exodus. He had a certain role that was elevated because of Moses' reluctance to speak. And it was Aaron who also became the high priest. He was the one who entered the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. To doubt his position in Israel would also be a mistake. 
But now they are in the desert on the way to the promised land. You would think that there would be excitement and joy. However, Moses is plagued by his big brother and sister clamoring at him. They were murmuring against the very one that God had placed in authority over them. It reminds me that we sometimes speak inappropriately of those who are in authority over us. We sometimes forget that God Himself has placed people in those positions, which means that we should treat those individuals with respect as we respect the Lord. We see that in the book of Hebrews. And yet now, Miriam and Moses are not encouraging him and lifting him up to edify him. They are pulling him down. You know, it's like having a bucket of crabs. If you have a bucket full of crabs, you don't really need a a lid. Why? Well, because when one gets near the top, the others will pull him back down. Those at the bottom want to ensure the group's collective demise. And here we have a crab in the bucket syndrome. If I can't have it, Moses, neither can you. Let us reduce your confidence and success through our envy and spite and prejudice to halt your growth. And the Lord hears them. And the Lord visits them. He calls the three out together before the tent of meeting. God knows that this is a affront to unity and His chosen servant. He then speaks to Miriam and Aaron. And I think, oh, the anguish. For in Hebrews chapter 10, we read that the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So now we come to our point two, this swift judgment. God's quick response to their jealousy takes their sibling rivalry from a petty squabble to a global concern. Why? Well, the grievous fault of Miriam and Aaron was disloyalty to God and treason against His established rule. In context, their grumbling was grumbling was rebellion against the Most High, which threatened the unity of God's people and even provoked prejudice. When we remember that talents, position, or, and power are granted in the providence of God, it is rebellion against His will to be envious of those whom God has placed in those positions. Now notice here. The Lord first comes to the defense of Moses. God makes it clear that there is a big difference between your average prophets and Moses. Moses is of another class. Others hear from God in shadowy terms. They have visions and dreams. But Moses gets face time with God himself. Furthermore, Moses, God says in verse 7, is a faithful servant in God's house. He has the status of the chief servant, the head slave, who had the oversight of all the others. This special status means that to mess with Moses is to mess with God Himself. And then the Lord brings something that is frightening upon Miriam. To think that the Lord would visit you and bring a physical ailment on you as punishment makes me tremble. In a moment, though, Moses will have a beautiful response and merciful prayer. Yet God's judgment here is straightforward. The Lord leaves uh, and Miriam has leprosy. Miriam's leprosy is likened to a father spitting on his father's face. 
This was a curse in the Middle East when one behaves disgracefully. From Numbers chapter 5, those who are ceremonially unclean must go outside of the camp. And in Leviticus 13 and 14, the period of seven days is prescribed for those with skin diseases as leprosy. So as Moses Moses prays, Miriam may well have been healed physically at that moment. Yet since her jealousy so dishonored God, she is set outside the camp. Now, how, there is one more thing that I want you to see in this swift judgment. It takes us back to the third verse where the Scripture calls Moses the meekest man on the face of the earth. Now, think about the life of Moses. I've had to ask this question. Does his life sound like a meek life to you? I mean, Moses grew up 40 years in Egypt's Household in Pharaoh's household. He was wined and dined, educated and trained. He had the most incredible opportunities and he grew up in an opulent setting according to the world's standards. And yet, do you remember the very first thing about Moses when he had the opportunity for public ministry at the age of 40? He kills someone. He sees the Egyptian taskmaster abusing the Israeli and he steps out and in anger he strikes him down. He buries this man in the sand. He is a murderer. And yet the Bible calls this man the meekest. And it makes me realize, you know, that meek men and meek women are not born meek. They have to be developed. They have to be educated and trained. The Lord has to develop a meek person in Jesus Christ. So how do you make a meek person? God Himself educates and then He tests. He educates and then He tests. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Moses for the next 40 years of his life. Now we need to be a little careful here. Because some people think that a person is meek when they are young. Because you can hear, oh, this young child is a meek child. But that's just not true. Some people are by nature shy, yet that doesn't make them meek. Some people have low blood sugar, but again, that doesn't make a person meek before the Lord and before God's people. Some people are just quiet, and yet I know some quiet people that are very calculating They sit and they listen quietly and they calculate whether they need to interject something to profit themselves. And again, I would like to say that this is not meekness at all. It can be ascribed as meekness, but that's not what meekness is all about. And here is why. If you are born a sinner, which is every one of us in this room, you are not born meek. For meekness is recognizing that God is the only resource you truly have. No matter what powers and gifts you possess, you come to know your humble position before the Lord and before other people as you mature in Jesus Christ. Now think of Moses' education becoming a meek man. Do you remember what Moses did after he killed the Egyptian? He did what many of us would probably do. He ran. He hid. You know, I'll never forget as a fifth grader in Seffron, North Carolina, when a group of us, we were playing ball. 
And I threw the ball towards Mrs. Gant's house, thinking that it would simply bounce back at all of us and we would continue our play. But it went right through her front picture window, right into the living room. And we did what nearly every 11-year-old boy would do in that situation. Boys, girls, I do not recommend this. But we all ran. We hid behind the bushes in the ditch. And we eventually just kind of solemnly went home. Moses ran. And he went into the desert for 40 years. Now when a man as gifted as Moses goes into the desert for 40 years... No one to lead, no one to teach. It's humbling. Men and women who are greatly gifted, who are removed from a public arena, many times meet themselves and meet the Lord in ways that they have never done so before. Solitude for some people, especially those who are leaders, are very painful. And yet solitude in the hands of God may be very fruitful. For the more we see the Lord, the meeker we become. Well, why? Well, here's why. Because when we are quite before Him, we see His grandeur, His greatness, His power, His majesty, His sovereignty, and we see our sin. We see our shortcomings. We see that we really need the Lord and that we All that we have is really a gift from God and it humbles us and it quiets our soul. You know, there was a turning point for me as a young man in my 20s when I spent some 10 years in banking in Charlotte. They were productive years from a worldly point of view. I was successful, yet I was not fulfilled in God's ultimate calling and I'm not talking about calling as a pastor. I'm just talking about being called as a man full of contentment. In solitude, I watched other joyful people do things I wanted to do, and I wasn't allowed to do them. It was a desert time for me. Have you ever had a desert experience? Have you ever had a time when you can't do what you really want to do? It's been taken from you. It was a time that you couldn't exercise the gifts that you wanted to exercise because you needed some time to understand the gift giver and who Jesus Christ is. You you know, I needed some time to work through some things. I needed to be strengthened and even restored to know that God is much bigger than than Ron, and that Ron is not God, for Christ is Lord. But notice this brings us to our last point here, impassioned pleas. The first impassioned plea comes from Aaron in his repentance. Now I'll put his repentance in parentheses because he looks at his sister who has leprosy, she is wife, and then he repents. It kind of reminds me of the child that says, Mom, 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 please don't spake me because I am sorry. Son, are you worried about the spanking or your sin? Not that I ever heard that from my parents. 
But here Miriam is, Aaron is staring at her, and he immediately moves towards repentance. And I'm actually glad that he is moving in that direction. But notice that Aaron turns to Moses and not to God. He knows he needs a mediator and an intercessor. Just as Aaron turned to Moses, we turn to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to reconcile us to God the Father. We need Christ's righteousness so that our sins are not held against us. We need to be justified by faith alone through Christ alone. We need to receive His righteousness while our sins are placed upon Christ on the cross. And we need Jesus to reconcile us to God Almighty so that we may become His sons and daughters. But now notice Moses' impassioned plea. You know, Lord, Miriam has been a burr under my saddle my entire life. Even though you put me in a position of authority, she has spoken wrongly and she does, she does need to be punished. Well, that's not his prayer. But I could hear those words coming out of my mouth at times. I don't know if you could ever hear them coming out of yours. But Moses cries out in grace his plea, O oh God, Please heal her. Please. Can you hear his voice? Oh God, please heal her. Please. Can you hear the cries of a little brother for his big sister? You know, Moses is not protecting himself any longer, is he? For he is now humble. He is meek. He becomes a lion when you offend God, but he is a lamb when you offend him. That's the mark of a meek person. Jealous for God's reputation, yet humble when dealing with others in mercy. You know, when Moses came down off the mountain in Exodus 32 and found the Israelites dancing around the golden calf, do you remember what he did? In essence, he ground that golden, golden calf into gold dust. He put it in their water and he made them drink it. Boy, he was a strong leader. But at this moment, he cries out, Oh, please, God, heal her, please. Now, there's one other impassioned plea that I pray that you know. Jesus upon the cross. Dying an awful death that we deserve to die for our sins. He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus paid for our transgressions by His death upon the cross. He died in our place that we may live. And the risen Christ from the throne room of God, the Bible tells us, is interceding for us. Oh, His prayers. Oh, Father, forgive them. Oh, Father, heal them. Oh, Father, restore them. Oh, Father, strengthen them. Oh, dear family of God, believe Him. Trust in Jesus Christ and live. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that Miriam ever danced 
again after this judgment. Remember, she danced before the entire Israeli nation, at least two million people after they went through the Red Sea. Miriam was in front with her big brother and she danced and she sang and she worshipped the Lord. And now she has spoken poorly about God's anointed one, Moses. And she has taken a side. She is under discipline for a while. She is being corrected for seven days. I suggest to you that it was sweet. It was a period of correction that was limited. It was restorative, wasn't it? God's people waited for her. They could have gone on. They could have said, Miriam, you catch up on on your own if you can. No, they waited for her. The whole camp, millions of people waited for Miriam. You know, that's quite humbling, isn't it? That's quite encouraging as well. I believe Miriam danced again. I believe that God restored her after disciplining her. I believe she stood aware that everyone knew her sin, yet she stood. Why? Because the work of Jesus Christ is not about shame. The work of Christ is about restoration. You see, dear brothers and sisters, you are broken too. You see, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. And do you know that God restores us? Do you know that God restores you? You see, this is a story of restoration. It's a story of the kingdom of God. Jesus takes those who are broken and under correction and He restores them to a high position. And just as Moses is called faithful, the Lord calls us to be faithful as well. To become His faithful servants who demonstrate merciful meekness. Yet some of us may consider that we are in the desert right now. But dear family, it is a restorative desert. It's an educational experience that is leading us to meekness in Christ. He is leading us to cast our resources aside and to put our true hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. He's calling us to turn our back on the pomp and circumstance of this world and to say my significance comes from belonging to Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and King. So you know when you go through a difficult time and you have nothing left, you learn that lesson that When you have nothing left, you learn that Jesus is more than enough. You learn that Jesus is more than enough. The good news of the Gospel is that unlike Miriam, you need not go outside the camp. Rather, it was Jesus' face that was spat upon. It was on Him the Father's wrath was placed. He went outside the city of Jerusalem so that we would never be sent away, that we would be welcomed by the Father as His sons and daughters. And we come to know the ultimate merciful meekness of Jesus Christ, knowing that He prays for us continually from the throne room of heaven. 
And he is the very one who invites you to come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am humble and lowly of heart. Amen. Would you please stand as we commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, precious Holy Spirit, we stand before You knowing that You see us just as we are. You see our pride. You see our brokenness. Some of us are hiding. Yet we know that You are about restoration. So yes, Father, we confess we are guilty of sin and we know that You immediately say yes, You are forgiven. Oh, Father, please restore us for those of us who are broken. Draw us to Yourself. Move us to be who You want us to be in Your kingdom. Would You please move in our hearts and our world. Change our hearts and shape us for Your glory and our good. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.